Welcome. Thank you for joining me for this conversation regarding children and the church. Let's just open up in prayer for a moment and get our hearts right. Father God, I just thank you. I thank you that you are the author. You are the beginning and you are the end. You are from generations to generations. You are from Genesis to Revelations. Thank you, Father God, for who you are and what you're doing on earth today. Thank you, Father God, that nothing catches you by surprise. Thank you for sending us the gift of Jesus, the motto that his life was for us, and the sacrifice that he made on our behalf. And I thank you, Holy Spirit, that it is your job to lead us into all truth, all understanding, according to the word, according to Jesus' example, and according to your spirit. And so I just ask that you come now and you bind up the spirit of religion, the spirit of performance, the fear of man. I just ask that you bind up the spirit of um, just tradition and, and that, that pressure to always do what's always been done. And I just ask that you, O Holy Spirit, lead us into the heart of the Father with this message. And I just bless those that have ears to hear. And I bless those that are able to take the seeds of this message and partner it with you to see what it is that you're doing on earth today in their community. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, with this topic, the Lord has told me that it's only the sons and daughters that are going to be able to move out of the church era into the kingdom era. That we right now in this generation have our hands stretched out. Many of us were raised in the church era. Many of us, are we know the church era like the back of our hands. But God is moving us into this kingdom era that is going to look totally different. It's still of him, it's still the word. Like we're not changing any of the foundations, but the, the relationship, the the way we have an expression of it, the way that we go after encountering him, having church, your fellowship with each other, all of that is shifting. That this generation is born for such a time as this. And you know, every living thing, there's transformation in, with him. A believer would go from transformation from glory to glory. Families go from transformation from generation to generation. And I believe that our churches should be in a transformational um, cycle as well. But we've gotten stuck into tradition. We've gotten stuck into what we've done in the past. I want to be super, super clear in this message here and out. I am not speaking against a church, a location, a leader, a person, program. I am talking about an operating system. I'm talking about the operating system that has been in the church for hundreds of years. You know, I'm not going to unpack the whole history lesson right here as I did it in my video that I sent out to you and that I did live when I was speaking in Colorado. But the history of Sunday school started because the children who were working in the factories 
and they were uneducated. They did not have a sense of community. They did not have any schooling. They did not have any like friendships, you know, the way that we would expect our children to have and going off and being carefree. These children at a very, very early age were expected to go work down in the factories, um, not from eight to five, but for many, many hours every day for six days straight. Excuse me. And that a man got a vision to bring these kids in to the church and to teach them the ABCs and the one, two, threes on a Sunday morning to meet the need. The church met the, the physical need of a child for education. And he went and told one of his friends and one of his friends actually saw the fruit of these uneducated children down in the big city. And he decided he really wanted to do something about it. And so he then started this motto, this movement of school on Sundays. And I don't think that many of us realize that it actually was a school of the ABCs and the 123s. Come on, isn't that what the church is supposed to be doing? Is it supposed to be not necessarily meeting the need of the people, but it's supposed to be the answer and the solution. It's supposed to be heaven's answer and solution to their needs. And that's exactly what Sunday school was. And I want you to understand that as the church rose to meet the need of the culture, the, the need of the children, it changed the culture. These managers started writing newspaper articles and saying that these kids used to be like hoodlums. And they were like tigers and bears and they were full of cursing and violence and gambling and drinking and smoking. And we're talking as early as five, six, seven years of age. And they started boosting the, the economy and people started paying attention that school on Sunday was actually really, really beneficial in multiple different ways and levels. And so they started creating laws. They got attention of the government and they started creating laws and they said, let's scale back how many hours the child can even work. And then eventually the laws changed and said, a child actually needs to be in school. And the children started getting educated. So here you have lack. You have the church is the answer and the solution. And it changed not only the culture, the financial setup, but it also changed the laws. But there was a crossover period. I don't know exactly when it is. I, I'm sure we could dig a little bit deeper into the history of this. But, but uh, within a, the last hundred, hundred years, when now it's normal for a child to actually be required to go to school, the Sunday school program had to realize, what are we going to do? Because the kids don't need the ABCs and 123s anymore. So what are we going to do with them on Sunday mornings? So they decided that they were going to make them and force them to learn ab about spiritual things. So it was, a excuse me, it was a requirement that they would come on Sunday mornings and learn about God. And I believe that there was a crossover period where it just worked, where it just worked. And, and the, I want you to understand this. It worked because the families were still the primary educators spiritually in the home. So anything that they learned in Sunday school on Sundays was just a, a confirmation or a spillover of what they were learning in their homes. But eventually, 
this is this is what happened and this is what I want to go after. Eventually, where we where it started out meeting a need, it I believe it actually became part of the problem because they were no longer meeting the need. The need was met, okay? And what happened is that parents laid down their authority. They abdicated their authority back to the church. And they began to say over the generations, the church is better at this than I am. I no longer need to teach my children spiritually because the church is. To abdicate means to renounce your throne and fail to fulfill your responsibilities. And here we are generations later where parents have continued to abdicate their authority, their spiritual authority of their home onto Christian educators and Christian Sunday school leaders and ministry workers. It is like trying to fight a war without the front line. Parents will always be the front line in a child's life. And we've removed the front line from that child's life. And we've put all the burden and expectation on ministry leaders and Christian educators to try to win the battle when they have about 45 minutes a day, a week with your children. School obviously has a little bit longer. Do I need not tell you that we are losing the war for our children in the area of their identity, of respect, of their gender stability, their salvation, of pornography, of connection, of sibling connection, and of rebellion. The list goes on and on and on. Again, this is not an attack on any Sunday school leaders or workers. This is not an attack on Christian educators, but it is a wake-up call to say, thank you, but this operating system is no longer working, and we are losing our children at a rapid rate. We are losing our children to the hands of the enemy and to the snares of temptation. And our children are become demonized and our children are becoming completely um, altered by what God had planned for them. I would tell you really quick a story. I did share this in the previous video, but it's such a, a perfect example of what I'm talking about. Recently, my friend shared with me the um, what she saw um, being the director of a Christian camp. She's been this director for many, many years. And with any leader of children, you know, you always have some issues. You have children coming from a wide variety of backgrounds. And you just expect that there would be some issues when they come together. It's really, you know, not that big of a deal. You, you just get used to how to handling it, right? And she said, Lisa, we were so unprepared for what we saw this year. She said there were children that were making sexual advances on other children in, in broad daylight in front of everybody. There were children that were obsessed with watching other, other children take showers. And she said there was even a child, a young child, that made a sexual advancement towards an adult without even thinking about it, with no embarrassment or no shrinking back as if it was normal. Now, I realize that we don't know the full situation of that story. I don't, don't want to rush into judgment. But no child is positioned in that way without first being conditioned. Either that child is, is a victim themselves and their parents are oblivious to it 
and their parents have missed the clues and the symptoms of a child that is being groomed or being violated or something is happening directly in that home. Either way, I dare say that those the parents of that child has abdicated their authority and the front line in that child's life. And so the parent then sends this child on to Christian camp, expecting what? That the counselors would be able to do that when they have hundreds and hundreds of students to manage, for number one. And number two, there's no way that a Christian counselor can get to know that many students that intimately, that deeply within a week's time. We are abdicating our authority. We are abdicating our spiritual responsibility to Christian educators and Christian workers, ministry leaders. And that responsibility has got to go back to parents. And that is the, that is the entire purpose of this message. I want to give you a strong word of caution that it simply will not work if we just change this in the natural. We cannot simply declare, okay, parents, you are now back on the front lines and you know, pick up your, um, your throne and go ahead and reign from that place. It won't work. It will not work. Ask Christ Christian educators. Ask those that are in administration. Ask the Sunday school workers and the pastors. They have tried. They have tried. Christian educators or teachers have gone and they, they said, come on, parents, let's have a little family or let's, let's have a parent-teacher conference. And let's talk about Johnny and let's talk about how he's struggling and let's talk about the disrespect and let's talk about the bullying and let's talk about it. And where you think that there would be such radical partnership between, a, a, I'm just going to call Sunday school workers and Christian pastors and and children's pastors and youth group leaders and Christian educators. I'm just gonna, um, I'm just gonna kind of lump them all together, okay? But you can use those words interchangeably. But there should be a partnership between them and parents that would be like double reinforcement for that child. Instead, when the spiritual leader puts that back on the parent, it makes the parent feel exposed. And they partner with shame. I see this over and over and over again. It's almost like, and then they get defensive. They get defensive and they, they start justifying that behavior. If you could peel back the covers, I believe that parents are generally screaming back something like this. I know Johnny has an issue with disrespect. I know he's a bully. I see it in my living room with his sister's all day long and I don't feel empowered to do anything about it that's why I am paying big money to send him to the Christian school that's why we go to church every Sunday and I force them to go to youth group and make them go to camp even though they're kicking and screaming and don't want to go I know we have a problem but they feel so unbelievably disempowered They've been disempowered for so long, they don't even know what empowerment looks like. You've got to understand this. This generation of parents didn't create the problem. This generation of parents, they were raised by parents collectively that were not picking up their spiritual authority. 
they were raised by, and, and their parents were raised. So really, it was our great-grandparents' um, era, if so to speak, is when things really started, the abdicating of the spiritual authority really started um, to, to get handed over to the church more full-time, especially in the 60s and 70s when women started going back to work. And that's where really, I think it became like the final nail on the coffin, if so to speak, shouldn't really use that terminology, but where really it went back and it said, um, I am no longer the spiritual authority of my home. And that's why we make such great effort to bring our children to these different places so that they can do it. This is why it doesn't work. It doesn't work. I'll give it to you an example. It's like hiring a cleaning lady and you've given her tasks to do every week. You're going to start getting really lazy in your house if you know that the cleaning lady is coming tomorrow. Yeah, I'm not going to pick it up. She can do it. Yeah, I'm not going to do it. She can do it. I'm not going to pick up my clothes. She'll be here tomorrow. If that cleaning lady wrote you a note and said, could you please do this? There would be a little bit of an almost like an attitude like that's what I'm paying you for. This is your job. And we are now the third generation of being used to spiritual cleaning ladies in our homes for our children. But here's the problem. We do not, children leaders and workers and educators are not spiritual cleaning ladies. That is the job of mother and father. That is the job of the home and of the family. I want you to understand this part because I feel like this part is the key in which most families collectively have misunderstood. Family does not look like a line. God, Jesus, Holy Spirit, we have dad, we have mom, firstborn child, middle child, baby, the dog, the cat, the fish, the whatever. It doesn't go in a pecking order. Now, of course, logical thinking would say that dad has more authority in the home than the baby. Of course, they've traveled more. Or mom and dad have traveled more. They're wiser. They know how to manage money more. Of course, of course. They're the ones that make intellectual decisions about what to eat and what time to go to bed. I'm not negating any of that. To say that you're on the same playing field as a two-year-old is absolutely ridiculous and so out of order from what the Lord has, has designed for us. But I am saying that family is not a line. God's design for family is a circle. And God will use that tiny newborn helpless baby that can do nothing but cry and demand with what they need and want. God can use that, that baby to heal and align something so deep and powerful inside that mother's heart. That God can use a four-year-old's temper tantrum to bring healing to the dad's heart based on his own journey and his own experience. So we look at our children as if we just have to mold them into something like they're a big lump of clay. And we're like we're doing something with them. And I don't think that's God's heart at all. I think that just like in Jeremiah, God looks at our children and he says, yes, 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 a prophet is what I had in mind for you, Jeremiah, as I knit you together in your mother's womb. As God knit these children together, he knit them together in his image, not ours, his image, but with us in mind. And he knew what we got and what we didn't get in our stories and in our journeys. He knows what we need and what we don't need. It's why you often hear parents say, I have this one child that just sends me to the, to the moon. I have one child that is so opposite of who I am. 
and I dare say that that is by God's design because that child is rubbing something inside of you that needs to be healed or aligned. That is the circle. That is the nature of God's design for family. And when, they, when moms see that Johnny is a bully in the family room with his siblings and they feel so disempowered and then they only increase the spiritual activity with somebody outside the home, is it not only makes the spiritual leader um, or educator um, not fully equipped to be able to get that involved into Johnny's life, is it robs mom and dad of the healing. It robs mom and dad of the alignment. We cannot just go after disempowerment as if it's just in the natural. We must be going after this in the spirit realm as well. I'm going to share, I think, 15, 16 different things with you that would be action points. I want to just preface this to say these are not in order of importance. They are not in um, order in which they should be completed. This is not um, a program or a formula. I'm just simply giving you some action steps in order to steward this message inside your community. And I just also want to say I did another video just for parents. So what does the parent side of all of this look like? T today in this message, I'm only talking to the Christian educators and to the spiritual leaders over children and the alignment that you need to come into. See, it's like two solid feet. It can't be about the church just throwing it back to parents, and it can't just be about parents taking it back. There is an operating system in which these two pieces of authority need to come back together into an alignment to impact that child, to change the culture. All right, in Jesus' name. Okay, so number one, the first thing I suggest is the leaders of the, of the church, the leaders of the school. This could be the board, it could be elders, it could be, you know, whoever is on staff. This ha this is, these are the people that actually do have authority in that realm. Get them together and I would encourage you to repent. To repent of picking up the role of being like the spiritual cleaning lady. And again, this isn't about something wrong that you're doing. It is about an operating system that was passed down to you. And it's like when you stepped into that job, the job description was already created for you. This is how we do this. This is what we do. This is the mission statement. And that's what I'm talking about repenting for. I'm not, I'm not asking you to repent for like caring about their salvation or about wanting to see them spiritually grow up or anything like that. Of course, I'm not saying that. What I'm talking about is the way in which this has become so crippling and disempowering to parents. If there is any educator out there or spiritual leader over a child who says, no, 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 Lisa, really, we are sufficient for children. Seriously, there's a lack of reality of what of, of being able to see the reality of what's going on out there. We are losing the war collectively for our children, and we need to do everything within our power to align, align ourselves with what the Father is doing on earth today and reposition the front line inside that child's life back into the front line, and that is reserved for parents and parents alone. So the first thing is get all of those in authority in your, in your realm, in your community, to come together and to repent. 
You're crying out for the operating system that was handed down to you that is no longer working, no longer bearing fruit, but actually harming the parents. It, the Sunday school might be profiting children on some level, but the big, big picture is it's not because it's actually disempowering the parents. And that is not helping children. So the first thing is repent with those in authority. The, um, number two, breaking off the operating system in the spirit realm. You guys are going to need to sit together as a community and as a staff, and you guys are going to need to partner with Holy Spirit in what exactly it is that you need to do to clean this up, if so to speak, in the spirit realm. Do we need to break off the fear of man? Come on. It is not uncommon for me to lead parents into breaking off the spirit of fear over their children. I'm afraid if I lay down the rules that Johnny's going to flip out. Get over the fear of him. Get over. You will never be able to parent him as long as you're fearing him. And sometimes I think churches need to, and Christian educators need to break agreement with the fear of man, the fear of parents' backlash, the fear of parents partnering with shame and reacting out of that place, the fear of blank, blank, blank. Where fear is an operation, there is no love, and fear should never be where we are setting our eyes or dictating our choices and decisions. Break off the operating system in the spirit realm. Number three, start beginning to declare and resolve that I am no longer going to enable the bad fruit, but I will come into an alignment. Parents have the ultimate authority. Break agreement that I am um, a spiritual cleaning lady for somebody else's mess in their home. Number four, seek godly strategy for your community, your school, your ministry. Seek God's strategy. So you're asking God, God, give me your strategy. Give me your steps. What is the process? What is the vision of what this is going to look like here? Whew, felt that. Number five, be the answers and the solutions for the real issues that children and families face today. Be the answer and the solution for the real issues that families and children are faced with today. You know, I recently did a survey of children all over the globe. It wasn't just one area. And I asked them some questions about church. And collectively, almost all of them said, in my church, we do not talk about things like suicide, gender, you know, homosexuality, sex. You know, we talk about purity, like just don't do it. But these children are saying the church is not talking about what we're talking about on the school playground. Yes, even in Christian schools. They're saying, we don't come to church to actually get the answers. In fact, one girl actually said that. She said, I wish I could go to church and get the answers for how to respond in school. Is that not how Sunday school first started? That they saw the natural need? Sometimes I think we're so spiritual. Sometimes we're so spiritual that we forget that human needs matter too to the, to, to the Lord. Come on, take care of the widows, take care of the poor, take care of the ones that are in prison. Sometimes God is talking about just the physical, natural needs too, right? The original Sunday school started out by taking care of the natural need of children 
to get off the streets or get out of the factories and to just have an education so that they could read or that they could write. Start declaring that your area, your community, your ministry is going to be the answers and the solutions for both parents and children. Amen. Come on. Come on. If we don't have heaven's solutions for what's going on in the world today, where are these children supposed to go? Where are parents supposed to go if they come to church and they're not even getting the answers for what it is that they need? I call you up higher. I call you up further. I believe that you are in Christian education. I believe that you are in ministry. You are a children's pastor or laboring with the, um, the youth because you have a radical heart for them. But I want to call you up higher prophetically and say it is time to put back some of the stuff back on parents so that when those kids come into your doors, that you are actually challenged, not by behavior, not by all the other stuff, because most of that is going to be, you know, get empowered back at home from the parents, but you are challenged to pull on heaven and to press in and to be on your face for the strategy of heaven for these children in this hour today. They need you. They need you to be the answers and the solutions. Number six, please, a word of warning. Please do not turn this into, do not transition this into Sunday school, like children's school, into parent school, meaning be that you're going to create curriculum to teach parents how to parent. Oh, please do not row this ship backwards. Do not go backwards. Do not do that. And this is why Sarah is not raising her son to be the same as Mary is raising her daughter. Every child is a unique expression of what God wants to do on earth today. They are not cookie cutters. And there is a parent today that is raising the next president of the United States of America. There is a parent today that is raising the next um, uh, engineer, worldwide engineer. There is a parent today that is raising a medical doctor that is going to um, have breakthrough to bring healing. Come on. There are parents that are raising children that are going to impact their culture, their community. And we are, they are not to look the same. They are to look like a very unique expression of what God knit them together to be. And when we start going back to this parenting model that this is how you raise godly children and this is how you do this. And so we start putting all children into a box. All of our parenting looks like a robot and we all look the same. Do not do that. Not in this hour. Not in this hour where there's so much disconnection and such a lustful pull of our children away from home. Your children will rebel. They will rebel against that. What your what parents need is they need the church. Come on, million dollar statement right here. Parents need children. Let me say it again. Parents need the churches to teach them how to partner with Holy Spirit in their parenting. That means it's going to look different for every single family. I think there are some foundational teachings, such as how do you hear God's voice? How do you um, teach children to hear his voice? 
how do you resolve conflict? Um, parents definitely need to be equipped in that area. And then how do you raise godly children with good character? The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy. I just outlined it right there. Come on, righteousness is good godly character. Parents need to be empowered in that area. Peace is his presence. What is that? It's speaking to him. It's communicating with him. It's hearing him and obeying him. And then it's joy. Nothing brings greater joy in families when there is a hurt, liar, and offense. When there is a John 10.10, the enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But take heart. Jesus has overcome. That is great joy. This is what what we need to be empowering and equipping our um, families in. It's not about telling them what to do, but it's about helping them to know how to do it. So in other words, somebody can come to me and they can say, um, they say this all the time, but they say, could I pay you big money to do ministry with my child directly? And I say, no, (laughs) no. Because I want to empower you to help that child so that next time that child needs help, they don't need me, but they need you and you are now empowered how to help them. So if I'm telling uh, um, mom, this is what you need to do. You need to take away his phone and you need to tell him this and do this. The next time that mom is in a situation, and I can guarantee you, she's probably going to be in that situation by the end of the week again with a different topic. Um, If I empower her, what are the steps? Okay, let's talk. And there are some steps that Let the Children Fly can help you with. But this is how we go to God. This is how we process this. This is how we partner with Father God in these situations. And then she practices it. And then it becomes a testimony. And then the next time she's getting a little stronger in it. And she's getting stronger in it. I hope you see this model. It is different than just telling everybody in the church, this is what godly parenting looks like. Please do not do that. Many years ago, somebody came to me and said, Lisa, you should write a book on all the ways that parents can release the kingdom through their children. You know, at doctor's offices or out at the store. And I was like, yeah, wow, that's pretty awesome. And three days later, that statement was just grinding and grating on my heart. And it was so bad, I finally had to sit down and I said, God, if that is what I do, then why is the encouragement to do this, to write this book, why is it almost offensive to me? And the Lord told me a key that I'm going to release over you right now. He said, Lisa, if you were to write a book, A plus B equals C. Lisa Max did this and this and this, and she went to the store, her kids did ABC, and this is what happened. As he said, parents are going to take that like a formula. They're going to, okay, I've got to get these supplies. I've got to do this. I'm going to prop my child in the grocery cart. I'm going to go around. I'm going to be in the second aisle. Okay, boom, I'm going to do it. And what he said is, there, it's not going to work. And it's not going to produce any fruit. Because they're focused on the steps. And they're focused on the formula. And they're focused on um, like the motto, the pattern. And he said, they're going to do it without me. And without my power, without my spirit, without partnership with me. And he said it's going to not only not bear fruit, but it's going to indirectly teach them. It's almost like legalism. 
parents are going to start getting forceful with their children and like it worked for Lisa so it should work for you and you know you start partnering with almost like that religious spirit like knock it off release the kingdom of God <laughs> you hear all the time that parents say that it doesn't work that way you guys it just doesn't it, you start cramming our children into the kingdom does not work and I said Lord I said this this really is overwhelming to me because if that is what I do but yet I'm not supposed to write a book which I agree with at that point and I'm not supposed to tell parents this is, you know, how you do it, then what do I do? Oh, here it is. Here's the key right here. The Lord said, instead of leading them to you, meaning me, Lisa, instead of leading them to you and as if I'm the model, as he said, teach them how to go to me and they will find the river of life and parenting and then they can write their own book. See, I could tell you exactly what I do when I go to the grocery store. And my grocery store trips have always been very successful, very fruitful. And I've got four kids. There were four kids, four and under, including twins. Because I partnered with Holy Spirit of how I was going to overcome the chaos going grocery shopping with four young children. I partnered with him. And our, our um, shopping trips became our source of joy, righteousness, peace, and joy. We had joy. But if we can teach parents how they can do the same partnership, then their joy is going to look different based on their children and their family dynamics. Come on. This is so good. This is so good. Number eight. That was number seven. Number eight. Stop ignoring the reality. Children are crying out for help. And we need to be crying out for them, for their sin, for the um, turning on um, or against identity, for their rebellion against God and their parents. Instead of just seeing their bad behavior, we need to see their cry. We need to see how lost and confused and scared they really are. They're tough and they're defiant because they are living in a land of radical isolation. Isolation is called psychological isolation. It has nothing to do with how many people are around you or how popular you are. It has to do with this isolation that of intimacy, intimacy, see, and how these children are feeling so alone in their own worlds. Why? Because their parents are disempowered. We need to be crying out for the reality of our children. Number nine, what is the role in the church? Oh, I'm sorry. What is the role of children in the church? Can, should children be allowed to just run around a big church? No, absolutely not. I believe that God is a God of order. I've been to a lot of churches who tell me, oh, we're so free with the, ch with the children. And, oh, we think it's so great that the children are in big church. And I come and I'm like, I don't, I don't agree with you. I don't think that this is so awesome that children are so free. I, I think it lacks order. I think it's disruptive. I think that it is annoying. It Come on, can we just call it that? It is annoying when you are trying to worship and your hands are up and you are feeling the presence of God and all of a sudden you hear siblings have conflict or fighting or you're being knocked around or being pushed accidentally because the kid's around you. I don't think that it is appropriate. I think it goes back to empowering parents. What does godly character look like? 
when my kids were really little, uh, I would purposely bring them into big church to teach and to train them. Not to expect them to make it through an hour and a half service perfectly still, but I used it as an equipping time. If somebody was encountering the father and they were having strange reactions or if somebody was encountering even something demonic and they were having strange reactions, I would scoop up that child or I'd sit down in the pew and I'd get right up to their ear and you know I'd kind of um, hold on to them and pull them in. And I would just say, do you see that lady up there on the white t-shirt? Why do you think she's crying? And I'd have my child look and my child would, you know, I don't know. And I'd say, well, how does that make your tummy feel, feel that, that, that that lady is crying? oh, I just feel really sad or like compassionate for her. And we'd start partnering with, well, what, what would Jesus want you to say to her? Now, of course, we wouldn't interrupt if she was having an encounter. But do you see what I'm saying? I'm getting my kids involved in church. Or they would say, mommy, that doesn't feel good what's happening to that lady. Well, let's ask Jesus if that's him touching her. No, mommy, it's not. So in other words, that lady was manifesting something that wasn't of God. Well, let's ask Jesus um, what he would want to say to her. And you're starting to help them get prophetic words, right? We're teaching our children how to do church. Um, there's many things that children can do. One time I bought smiley stickers and the kids were able to greet or, or just even walk around and they would put these smile stickers. Come on. They were learning how to greet strangers. They were learning how to be friendly. They were learning how to get over some of the fear of man. And they would slap the smiley sticker on the person's, um, you know, on their, not their chest, but their, you know, shoulder, whatever. And they'd say something like, God is smiling at you today. Come on, it was the highlight of, of so many of the adults' church that day because they got loved and they got touched by a child. There are other times where my children would greet or they'd work up in the sound booth. Come on, no, nobody's going to let your child do this or let children do this if they don't have godly character. If somebody has no self-control, they're not going to be brought into the sound booth and, and to help and to be mentored in that area. But if they're showing that they have good character, come on. Most people would love to be able to mentor and to bring younger children into that. What would it look like to the needs of the church, the volunteer needs of the church, if, if our children, children were stewarded and mentored at an early age? There's not a single job in the church that a child could not or should not be mentored in. Deliverance, praying for people, being on the ministry team, should they be all on their own? Absolutely not. Should they be covered and mentored and equipped with real life situations? Yes. Can they greet? Can they help do the communion? Can they help get um, the communion prepared? Absolutely. Can they um, um, help do the offering? Absolutely. Why? Who said that a 12-year-old that a cannot do the offering side by side with an adult? What do you think would happen to that child if they were able to partner every other week, once a month, whatever, with Mr. Jones, and they got to come to church, and they had a significant role in the middle of the church service? That child would feel so good about themselves because they were a part of the family in church. You know, we talk about, about family and about church being family. We talk about it being sons and daughters, but are they? Are they really included? Or are they excluded to this back room over there? Okay. Another time we had sticky notes and we would have the, all the kids, the Sunday school kids back in the room and they would get maybe like five sticky notes and we would say, 
ask Jesus what he would want to say to his son and daughter, and then write it or draw it out on a sticky note. And then we got permission from the parents. And then we had like one adult and like five kids, whatever it was. And we went out into the parking lot after the church service started and we went and put sticky notes on everybody's car. That was a hit. And what's even more fun is to have the kids spy. <laughs> we were on the inside of the window and we would look at all of the adults coming out and they got to see the reaction of them finding the sticky notes. Many of them bursted into tears. Some of them immediately whipped out their phone and probably were putting it on social media. The point being is that kids got to be an active, healthy part of the family. I don't like, and I, I have a really strong opinion about this with parents when asked, but I don't like the idea of any electronics coming inside the church for children. I realize that it becomes a really good babysitter, but this is what happens. Children associate church with electronic time. Do you really want your child sitting and playing a game? Some of them of death and murder and blood and, you know, come on. There are a lot of parents that allow that inside the church. <laughs> oh, the concept of that is mind-blowing to me. But even, the, even two-year-olds, they give them a phone thinking that they're keeping them quiet. What about going after a good godly character and helping them so that the church or the school helps the parents to become empowered with helping their children to do this. But what about helping them to grow in their self-control and being aware of the people around them and having eyes to see the people in the church and being a participant in the family of church rather than just sitting there checked out, zoned out, watching and um, uh, something on their electronics. I just feel really strongly about that. Church is not the place to come and to be entertained. Church is the place where we come and we worship the King. We worship the Almighty. And if your child, like mine at different times, <coughs> has communicated kind of a laissez-faire attitude about why do we got to come and stand up and worship, then that child simply needs more training about who Jesus is. And they need help seeing, not in a legalistic or condemning way, but they need help seeing all of the ways that Jesus has been good to them throughout the week. The roof over their heads, the, the fact that dad has a job, that they have a good school, clothes on their back, food in their belly, you know, heat or air conditioning, come on, uh, uh, transfer, transportation, phones, everything. We need to be going after gratitude so that they have a realization of what they're worshiping and praising on Sunday morning. I want to explain something that happens to other members of the community or church when children are allowed to run around and be very disruptive in church. Seniors are in a very interesting position in this hour. I, I think uh, our parents probably were the first generations of this, but they were in awe over the level of disrespect of, of like, um, it's the parents now, when they were children, so their parents, um, they, when they were kids, they would never be able to speak the way that some of their children spoke. I hope I'm, you're understanding who I'm talking about. But anyways, um, but so now those people, those parents are now the seniors of the church. Okay. And so when these children <coughs> excuse me, now have great reign, to run around crazy. 
What happens is every person has like a hula hoop around them, okay? And we are releasing different things in our hula hoop. So you can have a smile on your face, but if you have anger and rage in your heart, or you walk up to somebody with a big smile and you're like, hey, but you actually are feeling shame or you're feeling the fear of man, people are going to encounter and feel the first part of your hula hoop first before they actually experience you. Okay, it's just human nature. It's just the way that it is. So here you have all these seniors who in their hula hoop, what are they releasing over these children? You're annoying. We don't want you here. I wish you would be quiet. There's a repelling. There's a repelling. Now, I'm not saying this in judgment. In judgment, I'm, I'm actually, I actually agree with some of the seniors with what they feel about some of the stuff that's going on in church. It's, let's not take it from this side and swing it all the way to the next side. Let's find Jesus in the middle, okay? We don't want the seniors to be offended and to feel like there's like these children are a nuisance and a disruption. At the same time, we don't want the children to have to just sit quietly for an hour and a half and just play on their electronics so that they're not talking and participants. We want to find something in the middle. Why is this so important? It's important because seniors have a vital, vital role. A vital role. <coughs> they have a role of wisdom, being able to cover other families. They have a role of encouragement. They have biblical knowledge and understanding that we actually need more than ever because the current parents today most of them collectively, there's a large percentage of them who cannot go to their own parents for spiritual counsel. So the, the seniors of your church who possess that are a wealth of a treasure box. They have gold that is priceless. And we don't want to move our churches so far with the other side with children that we're actually losing that original generation or the, or the senior generation. I want to say this. I did mention that the church needs to be the answer and the solution to what's going on in a child's world. If there is a, super important to understand this, if there is a, a school board or a district that has allowed the same-sex curriculum in the, on the campus, in the school district, okay? So in other words, by the state's Department of Education laws and rules, that is the curriculum. So they have to teach sex education. But if they're adopting the curriculum that has really perverted um, out there stuff that a lot of Christians do not agree with, um, I'm not just talking about homosexuality. I'm talking about like teaching kindergarten level about some of this stuff. Most Christian parents would not want that for their child. <coughs> but that's part of the, the uh, curriculum. If, if the educators those in authority, have allowed it, that means that that spirit has a legal right to talk, to whisper to any child on that campus. Come on, mind-blowing. If that is allowed in the home, if that is allowed in the campus, on the school district, that spirit has a legal right to speak to any child that's on, on, uh, in that location. So it's not a matter of if your child has these thoughts. It's a matter of when. So I have a lot of friends who lived the homosexual lifestyle and have come out of it 
and many of them are just have profound ministries to other people um, based on their own stories and their own testimony. And I recently interviewed them. And so these are three people that like travel literally the globe with this method and um, a redemption and hope. And so I, I asked them, I said, what, what did you need when you were 15? Like go back, like there was, the seeds were planted. Then you had mental thoughts about the seeds and then you eventually acted on them. Before you acted on them when they were just, you know, mental seeds, and you were thinking about it, what did you need? What did you need in that moment? And all of them, every one of them said, I needed an older man who I could simply just ask questions of and be affirmed. Like answer after answer after answer, every one of these men, that's what they said. Somebody to process questions with and somebody to affirm who I was. Come on, if we want to go after this next generation, the seniors of your community are vital. Vital. What would it look like if we got out of the box of church? And what if one day we went to church and they actually, like at a wedding, they separated us, seniors on this side and families on this side, or however you want to do that. And what if we went and had a message to really empower the previous generation, the seniors? And what if we were to call out collectively the jewels that they are, the history that they possess, the wisdom? And what if we then <clears throat> told them to organically go find a family or vice versa, the families could go to the seniors? And we said, here are some, here are some um, uh, guidelines. Share names and numbers. Have a meal together. Pray together. Ask questions. Encourage each other. Connect with the young adults. Text them once a week. Ask them how they're doing. <coughs> Pray for their upcoming test. Ask if they have questions together. Get together with the families. Go, go put, put golfing together. Have the, the grandmas bake with the younger children. It's not about babysitting. It's not about using the older people or the senior people in your church as free babysitting. That's not the motive. The motive is connection. And God is a good connector, like with currency. There's this younger, younger generation that needs more reinforcements. There's moms and dads that need to go back and find their, um, their, um, their, their uh, realm of authority and to be empowered as parents. And you have senior people that, know, that need, have a very strong need, to know that they're still needed and that they're still wanted, that they still have a contribution, that they still have value. If you look at my son, he's, a, he's been raised in a single family most of his life. He's the only boy. The odds against my son statistically are great. The reason why he doesn't fit any one of those statistics is because I have been so intentional to partner him with the um, older men of our church. It was never a matter of just walking up to them and saying, will you mentor my son? 
It was always a matter of, hey, can we take you out for lunch after church? And our whole families would connect. Or, hey, why don't you guys come over? And then we would just be students of them. And and we would ask them questions and we would learn. And before you know it, he's taking my son out and teaching him about how to fix a car or how to paint a room. Or my son has been mentored by more men simply because we've just done life with the senior people all the way around us. I would call that a win-win. God is good. God is good. All right. Number 12, um, listen to them. Ask them questions. Who am I saying? The parents or the children. Ask questions. Have parents um, together in like you know, small groups, whatever, for dessert. And just ask them questions. What is what is your biggest concern in today's world as a parent? Take surveys. Um, listen to them. Um, and you're going to start to hear a theme. Wow, the parents in our community, in our school, really need help with these top three issues. Then go pull on heaven, go create the resources, go teach them how to go partner with Holy Spirit and help give them the answers and solutions to what they need. And I'll tell you this really quick. Um, We went to a church that was known for greatness. And all of a sudden, it wasn't all of a sudden, I found out that it happened many years before we got there. But all of a sudden, I started hearing when I got there that there were these children that were boycotting going to Sunday school. And these parents would put on the Facebook page, they're like, I beg, I plead, I like bribe, I like force, I yell, I scream, I like, I get mad. Like, I'm doing everything to get my child to go to Sunday school and my child will not go. And yet their child went freely when they were in their home church before they moved out there. This would happen once a month. A mom would post, we just moved here and my child will not go to Sunday school. And a bunch of, literally, there could be like 100 posts on that subject. And the moms then would say, yep, I've given up the battle too. I don't even care anymore. We don't go to church anymore or whatever. In other words, there's a battle. Can I just ask, how come nobody stopped to collectively ask ask the kids why not? Remember I said family? It's supposed to be a circle and not just a line. What are all those kids seeing and sensing in the spirit realm? What are those kids, what, what do they want to say? Peel back the covers. What, what are they communicating when they say, I do not want to go to church anymore. I do not want to go to Sunday school anymore. Is there something in the room, in the leaders? Is there something in the operating system? Is there something in the theology? Is there something in there that needs to come into an alignment? That is God's family. That is the way that God does family. We need to be listening to them. Okay, almost done here. Um, Number 13, revival. What does revival look like? Years ago, we were in a revival situation. (laughs) That sounded really funny. I just said that. We were going after revival um, out in Colorado, and we started having a series of um, evening revival classes, nights, worship times, whatever. And I don't really, really know what we were contending for. I guess we just wanted God to manifest in a special way. <clears throat> and every night they got better and better. And about, I think it was like the third night, like my kids were there and there was another, um, I think there was a homeschool family that had her kids there, very well-behaved kids. And they were, my kids and their kids were like way in the back and they were, you know, doing their thing, whatever. And all of a sudden my heart just started getting really grieved. And I'm like, something's so wrong with this picture. Like something is so wrong. And I went up to the head pastor and I said, hey, I said, 
If you could invite all of the family members, like your previous generation, great, great, great grandparents and aunts and uncles, if there was like a family reunion, I said, how would you feel about that? And he said, oh my goodness, that would be, that would be so much fun to talk about, to talk to the people, you know, like your parents, great grandparents and, you know, vice versa. And I said, well, how would you feel if this reunion took place, but your children couldn't be there? And he said, oh, wow, he could really feel that. And he said, oh, I would I would seriously ask if they could change the date just so my kids could be there. And I said, you know what, Pastor? I said, I think that's exactly how God feels about our adult revival. Look at what happens. There's so many adults in this room um, that have kids at home. And mom and dad aren't getting a home until 10, 11, even 12 o'clock at night for eight days straight. And we're all going after the kingdom. We're all going after God. Really? What about those kids? Those kids are missing mom and dad. Those kids want to be with mom and dad. They don't want their parents going off for revival. That's where children start turning against God. That's where, that's where they start getting a riff with God. We need to figure out how revival looks like doing it together. I dare say that when churches start shifting and re-empowering and putting back the responsibility of um, the authority onto the parents on the front line that is God's design, and parents start finding their own river of life, their own river of parenting in their own homes, and kids are starting to get revived, and kids are starting to walk in godly character, which just opens doors for favor, and they start encountering Jesus with hurts, lies, and offenses, and there's this water wheel of movement in homes, and then it also is happening in this home, and then this home, and this home, and this home, six days out of the week. I dare say that when you come to Sunday school, or you come to Sunday church on Sunday, that revival simply will look like moms, dads, and children are so on fire and they're so dripping with Jesus and there is such a burning to go tell the people around them of how God showed up and what Jesus is doing in their homes. I dare say that that is revival, that that is the definition of revival that God is looking for. He's looking for families revived. He's not looking for us to have a holy moment on a Sunday morning and then to have chaos and to have open doors of sin the rest of the six days out of the week because parents are so unbelievably um, uh, disempowered. Let's redefine our definition of what we're going after and what true revival looks like. I want to encourage you about your church structure. We know that Martin Luther came and that he said that we should have certain things in a, in a church program, and a church setting, and he was bringing some, something uniform to it. And I'm sure that the spread of the church has increased because he gave kind of a model for other people to follow. Again, it met the need at the time. But now we're so programmed and we're so full of religion and we're so full of the laws and the rules of how you do certain things that are really, truly man-made. You know, we have to have announcements and then we worship and then we have the message. The purpose of worship before the message is to get your heart right. That's great. I don't argue with that at all. But what if, what if we partnered with Holy Spirit for his strategy for our services in this hour? What if, I'm, I'm just throwing this out there, but what if kids were in class and they were learning something about big church, learning something about God? What if they were learning about prophetic words or healing the sick? And what if, what if we started out with a message for the adults? And what if we ended with worship? 
And what if we ended with that space where Holy Spirit could move, but the children were with us? And what if we were able to take the messages that we were just learned, both in children's um, ministry and then the adults with the pastor? And what if then we were to come together in this worship time and we were able to give it back to the Lord and we were able to worship according to the word that was just deposited inside of us? What if the children were involved in playing in the kingdom during the worship and during that time? What if instead of just talking about it, they actually got to do it? You know, your children are not looking for a spiritual mentor. Your children are not looking for spiritual mothers and fathers that so many churches are going after in this season and in this hour because they're so lacking and missing that in themselves. But that's not what your children want. Your child is not excited to grow up someday and to have a spiritual mother or father. Your child, the children, want mom and dad. They want their mother and their father. So why are we not doing everything within the church to help restore that relationship between mother and daughter, between son and father? Is that not what the word says, that in the last days he will pour out his spirit and he will turn the hearts back to each other? Church, that's your job description right there. To be instruments of turning a child, child's heart back to the mother and father and the, child, the mother and father's heart back to the child. Thank you, Jesus. Okay, two more last points that I want to make. <clears throat> we know that part of being a believer is dealing with our sin and dealing with the things inside of us that God wants to grow our capacity in. We know that being discipled is very important in the life of a believer, at least it should be. We know that not all of our children are yet saved, but we do believe that we should create our homes and our cultures to reflect biblical principles so that our children get to experience and taste what part of what the kingdom looks like even before they've made that pers personal decision. What is the protocol of your church when you have certain things like disrespect, not listening, disobeying, being being a bully what are your protocols in your church for dealing with that is it reprimand is it i remember there was one church and what the pastor said the children's pastor said is in front of everybody you don't get treasure chests because you're not listening and that child continued to misbehave and then he told all of the the young kids nobody gets the treasure chest nobody gets the treasure today because of this one man's sin or this one boy's um disrespect i just don't think that that's very healthy i don't think that that is the way that we should be operating could there be and, and let the children fly we'd love to help you further with us but could there be a way that the church could actually empower parents without making that parent feel shameful if you're experiencing that Johnny doesn't listen, the school teachers are experiencing it too, and so is the mother, and so is the father, so are babysitters, so are everybody else that that child comes in contact with. Is there a way that we could get to the heart of the issue for Johnny and not just focus on a punishment or a discipline for his bad behavior? Is there a way that the church could come alongside the parents and lovingly say, can we talk about this? I'm not talking about what I talked about in the beginning, where there's the shame. There has to be that releasing 
of the of the authority back to the parents first in order for this to work. But what if a, a church was able to call out some of the things that in a way that Johnny could learn that actually was really helpful and really empowering to parents? We recently started a new church and the youth group leaders sent out a um, an email to all the parents and said, OK, parents. We love your kids and we love youth group. Before next group, these are the three things we need for you to talk to your children about. They must stay in the room. They must not backtrack. Come on. This youth group leader gets it. He's calling parents back into the rightful place of authority to have that conversation with their child. It's not all up to Sunday school leaders. Okay. In closing, I want to say this. There are resources available to you. First and foremost, you have the resource of the Holy Spirit, who is all wonderful, all knowing and all sufficient. Use him, partner with him, sit at his feet, ask him questions, daydream. Let him show you what this could look like in your community or in your school. Let him burn your heart for what burns his for this next generation. Let the Children Fly has a class called Journey. Many of you have taken it. And Journey is not a class as far as an intellectual class. It is a transformational journey of going deeper with mothers and fathers of becoming um, good sons and daughters. Everybody says to me, I came to get tools for my children, but I'm walking away so transformed as far as who I am in my relationship with Father God. And that is the whole purpose of Let the Children Fly. The children in Let the Children Fly are not children, minors. It's actually mothers and fathers being children. Because we're attached to our children, our children are attached to us. And when the parents soar higher, the children automatically come with them. I encourage you to partner with me in having the people in your community take the journey class. They can take it on their own. We can establish a group just for your community and they can take it with me privately. Or we could set it up where um, they do. you guys do it on your own and then get together once a week and have conversation about it. I've seen it happen in all different combinations. When, church, when the parents of a church get together and walk through something like Let the Children Fly, the journey class, the masks come off. I've actually been saying that for 10 years, so that has nothing to do with the pandemic. The masks come off. And these parents start realizing, oh, I judged you as perfect. Or I judged you as having the disobedient child. I had no idea all that you've been through or all that you're walking through. And all of a sudden, there's this intimacy in community. Come on, go back to what I said in the beginning about parents feeling shame that they know their children are not where they are supposed to be. And that's why they're going to church. They walk in and it's almost like, I hope somebody doesn't see my bad parenting. I hope somebody doesn't see my bad parenting. I hope they don't see what my child does. What do they do? They come down harder on the child with legalism. You see the cycle, right? <clears throat> but when you take a class like Journey, what happens is all of a sudden the masks come off. Community is formed. Unity starts happening. Parents start bonding on such a deeper level. They start sharing testimonies. <gasps> I tried this tool and it worked. Oh, and then all of a sudden there's this radical bonfire that has just organically happened from the families in your church. I've seen this over and over and over again. 
Second thing is I have created this online um, parent magazine called Soar. And what I'm doing with this magazine, each magazine is anywhere from 15 to 20 pages. I created it online so that we could have parents from all over the globe take it. We don't have to worry about shipping and costs and all that kind of stuff. <clears throat> what I'm doing is in my parent coaching, which I do with hundreds if not thousands of parents already, is I'm hearing the key things. I'm hearing parents say, I don't know how to help my five-year-old struggling with their sexuality. I don't know how to help my child being bullied or being the bully. I don't know how to help my children with sibling conflict. I don't know how to go after good godly character. And I'm hearing where they're disempowered and we're creating a theme for a month and we're going after it with everything we have. And so um, please hear me. This is not a marketing plug, but these are resources that I have created specifically to re-empower parents. Um, if they sign up for SOAR magazine, I can allow it so that they get all of the back issues with the current issue. Come on, that's an amazing gift. I think we're like six months in. That is a lot of material. Um, my goal is to get it back into the hand or get it into the hands of the parents to see your community re-empowered the way God originally designed and to see fire and true revival happening in your church in your school, in your community. All right. I hope that this blessed you. And Holy Spirit, I just ask that you just water the seeds that you have for them. I pray, Father God, that you would make your name great. You sacrificed your son so that we could walk in more fruit and wholeness and abundance and connection and love than what we're seeing in, this, um, in our children's lives. Oh, come on. Come on. It feels warfare in nature to be going after and getting our children with the tools of heaven. All right. I bless you guys in Jesus' name.